0: to start by saying thank you for hitting play on this episode because I imagine if you've listened to the first series of this um, this podcast that you'll understand that sometimes the subjects that I cover they're pretty hard going and the five episodes of this second series are quite similar in that there really are subjects that Really, they make you think and they, they'll move you and challenge you and talk about things that quite often we never truly talk about. And that's okay if you want to pause, if you want to listen to some of these episodes in parts, or maybe only just listen to a couple and that's all you need to kind of be on your way. It's completely understandable. And, um... I think for many of you who follow me on social media, um, you'll know that the last year for me has been one which has been quite tricksy. It's been one of exceptional growth. It's been one where I've faced quite a lot of pain, actually, um, and one where there's been huge transformation. and for those of you who've stumbled upon this podcast completely randomly and, and never heard of me and or listened to any of their episodes, then I hope that over these um, next five episodes, you get a sense of some of the things that have been happening in the background. I didn't mean to leave it 12 months until I recorded and and put out these episodes. I I don't really, I can't give you an answer as to why it's taken me so long to put this second series out. A lot of it has been about fear that I've held on to a couple of these recordings for over 12 months and something stopped me in, in putting them out. But a number of things have happened in the last month that really have pushed me to think It's important for me to release these episodes, that people get a chance to hear this because I think in our world, in our day-to-day lives, many of us are really struggling with anxiety, with depression, with mental health um, problems and we don't talk about it with each other. So I think that kind of made me realize as I talk to my friends and people in day-to-day life that actually these episodes they need to be out in the world because I want more people to realize that that they're not alone and um yeah I've been there and so have many other people so that's the aim really that I hope you feel like these things that are going around your head are not something that's only unique to you and that you don't feel so alone. So in terms of headlines, um, in the last year, I've lost, um, well, just over a year, I've lost five stone. Um, Since I last recorded and published some of these podcasts, I've um, continued to build my own business as I've worked self-employed. I bought my first ever brand new car two days before Christmas. I'm in the process of buying my first house. And um, it's just over 10 months since I had my last alcohol drink. And of which there are many reasons as to why I've done a few of these things. But it's fair to say that there have been many, many fuck it moments in the last 12 months for me. And um, I recognize that these moments, there's something which can continue if you choose to move forwards in your life. I just want to, before we crack on with this first episode, I want to point out something to you, um, which I really, I actually read this book back in January and I wrote these notes in my journal and I thought, next time I record an intro to the Fuck it Moments, I must read this. Um, so I had to dig very far back in my, in my journal to find these notes. Um, but it is, is a man who I um, really aspire to in the, his leadership qualities. But also, for those who know me personally, I'm an ice hockey fan, and my team is Toronto Maple Leafs. And the coach is this man, Mike Babcock. He wrote a book called Leave No Doubt. And it was all about his approach to dealing with the bumps that hit you in life. And he kept talking about these things called moments, which I thought were, it was just so in line with everything that I kind of started out in, in thinking about when I started this podcast. So let me just read you a couple of the lines. He talks about moments as days, months. Even years and how they can blur, but moments make up the photo album of your memory. Moments are what life is all about. Moments can put dreams to the test. They are when dreams come true and moments are what you remember. And my motto has always been that life is a handful of fuck it moments and the rest is cotton wool in between. But what he also talks about is enjoying the journey from A to B. He talks about how you have to make process your partner and that it helps you stay on task and about the, the importance of enjoying the grind. Otherwise, we burn out before we even reach our goal in the first place. But he also talks a lot about failure and how sometimes when we make these decisions to go for something and it doesn't work out, why we should never beat ourselves up. And talks about adversity as a springboard to future success. And that it makes us better. And that it makes us stronger. And I can absolutely say that of the five people that you'll meet in the second series of the Fuck It Moments, all of them have faced huge adversity. And all of them have overcome some significant bumps in their life. But the way, the mindset that they have today is absolutely inspirational. So dig into this and know that some of the stories and the moments are going to be difficult to hear. But if you stick with it, you'll understand why, when you muddy through those dirty waters, that it's worthwhile in the long run. So episode one, season two. Um, let me give you a little insight into who we're meeting today. Andy Elwood.
1: I'd had a, a lovely breakfast on the balcony. Come out some French coffee with my wife. Um, we are in the French Alps. Beautiful day. And we're going out for the day. I said, right, well, I'll just pop in the shower before we'll go out. Yeah, no problem. Take your time. In I go to the shower. Turn the water on. i have been in that shower lots of times. Um, turn it on. And suddenly I was... Um, in a a Land Rover with a patient this close, you know, just inches away from my face, that he was trapped in after an IED attack in in Afghanistan. Um, It's right there in front of my face. And I could feel the heat of the day, like 50 degrees plus. I could feel the wave of my body warmer, uh, my body armor on me. And I'm there naked in the shower. I could feel the sand on my skin. I could feel the threat to my life, the pressure to try and save his life. It was. I was right back, uh, right back there. So this was a job I'd actually done, uh, um, and I'd thought about that job various times for other reasons. It wasn't about the. It wasn't anything about the gory detail of that job. There was just a whole lot of things on that job. Uh, um, but it was right back there, and I thought, what can I do? I can sort of this. Turn the shower, turn the water to cold. That'll turn down the temperature. Still feeling as hot. Scrub and scrub and scrub to get um, the sand off my skin. I could still feel it. It's, it's all these sensory things. It is just so real. Close your eyes. This guy's still right there in front of you. Scariest, scariest thing, you know. Far more scary than actually being there and doing that job. Scary as it was that day. Uh, um, so I just thought, right, I've got to get out of here. Uh, I don't know if I still had shampoo in my hair when I got out, but towel wrapped around me, back out into the apartment, and my wife knew straight away something was up. The look of concern on her face. What's happened? Are you OK? What's, what's wrong? What's wrong? And that was one of the scariest moments in my life, because I thought, I didn't want to admit all this stuff to myself, because my mind was running away with me. Have, have I got post-traumatic stress disorder? Am I losing my mind? Why? It was obvious I had a flashback, but it was like, why am I getting that now, five years after these events? I'm really happy now. Why is this? I love this woman. She's my soulmate. I'm on holiday in the French Alps. This is fantastic. Why has this happened to me now? I can't possibly, I don't want to admit it to myself. So how can I admit it to her? This woman that I have on this pedestal and think she loves me for these amazing things I've done. But I guess that was a fucked-up moment as well because she was so concerned about me. It was obvious looking at her and I thought, this is so scary. I need help with it. I'm going to have to tell her just what's happened. I'm going to have to come clean and tell her.
0: For you and I, this is just the sound of another car starting, but to Andy, this represents something slightly different. This is his Land Rover and his Land Rover is literally a vehicle of how he communicates with guys how to talk about their mental health. So he's someone that used to be a search and rescue paramedic, dangling from a rope, a dope on the rope, as he calls himself. But last year, he left that job to go and do something slightly different. And it's all something to do with taking this Land Rover on tour and getting out there and talking to emergency service volunteers, to emergency service workers, to men in general, and helping them bridge the gap between the stuff that's going on in their head and what's really happening in reality. I'll add the notes now that if you at any point would like some help as a result of listening to some of the things we discuss in this episode, then do make sure you see the show notes for any links to places that can help you, but also for information about what Andy does and how you can contact him. So let's head out, go for a walk, and off we go to meet Andy. it's a a cloudy Thursday morning. Thursday lunchtime now probably and uh, we've come out for a bit of peace and quiet instead of sitting in a studio. It seems apt for this conversation and we're in the Goit Valley in the Peak District. It's pretty cloudy, the rain keeps coming and going, the sunshine is definitely not here but hopefully by the time we finish this recording it will be. And we're stepping out of our our bubble, our, our hubbub of sitting in offices and going to training and workshops and networking, which is what both Andy and I do by day, to get back to nature, a place that has brought both of us so much comfort on some of the things that we're going to talk about during this recording. Andy, I think I want to start in the middle with you. Um, I want to start in, well, I know you've got so many moments, but a crucial moment for you was when you, like I did, um, decided to leave your permanent job and make a big change. Just kind of set the scene of what life was like for you in August 2018, both, both in work and, in, and personally as well.
1: So, August last year, I left the best job I ever had. I was responsible for half of the um, UK and search and rescue medical standards, search and rescue helicopters. Fantastic um, job, fantastic opportunity. Um, But it just wasn't doing it for me anymore. So, I'd been searching for some other fulfilment in my career for... A number of years and I decided I was only going to get that from actually working for myself and I decided I was going to save more lives delivering mental health first aid training um, mental health campaigning and speaking and sharing my story than I would dangling on a thin wire as a paramedic under a rescue helicopter. So it wasn't wasn't just a one off thing and I'd been building for a long time with a lot of... I think it's the cumulative effect of all these events in your life. So I'm 50 this year. um, So growing up in Northern Ireland, um, uh, being in the ambulance service in the Troubles in Northern Ireland, having various events there, caring for sick relatives, my own father, my mother-in-law, moving house, changing job, getting a promotion at work, being through a divorce finding another incredible woman um, and life moves on and it's a series of ups and downs but it's this cumulative effect that tends to really I, I felt last year had actually got to a point where I needed to change my life to find a fulfillment and happiness that I want to have in my life and I think we all deserve mm. um, so it's right across a whole spectrum of life not just one aspect Uh, um, of it and it became almost all encompassing for me so I had to take a few months off work last year um, I felt I was completely burnt out and just reset decide what was important to me and I think this is the biggest adventure I've ever had in my life which is trying to live the life of my dreams. It sounds a bit corny I think it's kind of something I I, I saw some kind of Oprah Winfrey quote but that really is it every day this is the biggest adventure night i'm trying to have my own business do some good with it and have fun on adventure every day and stretch
0: myself mm. the work that you do is so crucial and something that i was really happy to welcome on my podcast Um it's something that's close to my heart and i know we'll get into a little bit more of both of our stories of of mental health but i think one of the things that really jumped out at me having conversations with my own family um recently my brother who's in his early 30s um made a made a point to me that he realized how he'd been going to the gym for years um you know he'd like been doing a bit of weightlifting and stuff and physical health was something that he knew he had to keep up with but until maybe the last year or so he'd never realized that mental health is also something that you have to work on um and it's not just something that you can fix it's something that you need to think about all the time um, and, and I think from my experience, knowing some of my guy friends um, with ex boyfriends as well, that this is increasingly becoming a subject that not just um, women, but men as well need to talk about. Everybody needs to talk about, regardless of their age or their gender, their religion. Um, and we need to find better places to talk about that. So tell me about the work that you're doing to help men get better at talking about what's going on inside their own heads
1: uh, um, So, massive thing for me, and I totally um, agree with what your brother said, I, I had the same kind of thing, I didn't have to think about my mental health, yeah. I was happy, I was driven, I was going places, I was doing things, challenges. I challenges they had setbacks in life but they were temporary and overall I was good and it's just this cumulative effect of things I've um, been carrying in my stress container we talk about. And there's little ways to maybe run some some things out of that with physical exercise, fresh air, eating well, that is all great. Um, but sometimes you discover that actually you've got some massive rocks in there taking up a heck of a lot of space, like I have, things that have happened to me over the years. And I didn't realize I had some of those until last year when I took time out and really thought about them. Um, and it's this equality between or parity for physical health and mental health mm. that's what a lot of the charities and uh mental health um england who i work with uh, um are trying to Um, promote that message and just like your physical health will go up and down on a daily weekly monthly basis and fluctuate so can your mental health so you might have a bad day it doesn't mean you're depressed you might have a bad few days it doesn't mean you're depressed Uh, um, and it can go up and down so a lot of that whole picture now is coming together instead of being a a separate thing with negative connotations uh, mental health finding the equality with physical health um and it's in this whole well-being thing and what i prefer to talk about is mental strength and that's what i think i've developed so i've had some been through some massive things in life um with my time in the air force and search and rescue and out in afghanistan personal family history and divorce etc etc but what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. If you can get through those things, keep going forward, learn from them, reflect, and keep moving forward, even if it's very, very slowly. You're still moving forward for you if you're doing things that are important for you. That is looking after your uh, well-being and you're developing mm-hmm. um, your mental strength and your mental mm-hmm. fitness. And it's, it is very linked to physical fitness, but it's not, they're, they're, they're not two separate things and you got to work on it, yeah. Mm. So ladies are fantastic. They're really good at having these conversations, talking about their emotions. They're really good, like you're doing now, looking me in the eye. Us blokes aren't so good at that and we <laughs> tend to look away a bit. We, they we, want
0: to be on that plane that's flying uh, yeah. above us. <laughs> I,
1: um, We have really good conversations sometimes when we're sitting side by side, like if we're in a vehicle. So we're not eyeballing each other. We're looking the same direction down the road. A lot of listeners, if they have teenagers, will maybe find that as well. They have a great conversation with a teenager, maybe when they're both trapped in a vehicle. Mm -hmm. They have to be there. Neither of them can get away, and and they're not looking at each other in the eye. So ladies are good about talking about this, but guys... um, tend to bottle these things up, don't talk about their emotions, it's part of the problem we have that that big boys, men don't cry, big boys don't cry Um, we've had ingrained in us growing up and it's not a great model, it's not a great stereotype and that's been a massive learning thing for me, that it's okay to talk, and you feel the weight lifting off, problem shared is a problem halved, there's a lot of um, uh, truth in that statement more and more men I speak to they are feeling the same way um, but it's a massive step it was for me and I know it is for most guys to talk about these things and it's not easy but the more you do the better you'll feel and you'll realise you're not alone and there is hope uh, for the future, there is um, hope for recovery and mm. um, and it's an ongoing journey, but the hope is there, uh, and it's it's all good. So, yeah,
0: I think the last year that I haven't done anything on this podcast has been a massive journey for me personally, and it's funny that you say that. A lot of these these kind of tick points are for guys that um, kind of being strong, putting up and shutting up, and uh, not wanting to lose that halo and. Um, Yeah, the the mental strength thing is really, really apt as um, the biggest thing that I've had to learn in the last year is uh, being open with the people I was closest to to say, actually, you know what, I'm not okay. And this has been going on a long time. And these are some of the conversations I'm having in my head um, and I need your help. And um, that was massive because I think uh, I'd almost developed this habit where externally i wanted people to see that everything was all right and i was success and on paper it was going really well and internally you're juggling a lot of balls um and trying to keep up Um, and chasing the idea of perfection was something that i've really started to re-look at the word perfect and what that means and my own journey in starting my own business doing podcasts starting a couple of other series that i do and And coming out, if that's the right phrase really, of actually this is truthfully what's going on, um, has been really interesting to see the response that you get. Uh, Like a a big thing that I've done in the last year is quit drinking. Um, And that for me unlocked a lot of, um, just a a lot of um, negativity that I was going around in my mind. I've also lost uh, nearly five stone in weight. Um, wow. and I just decided that my health was something that I needed to start taking seriously yeah. and uh, all a combination of things I work with coaches I've been for therapy I've started to grieve things that happened to me maybe mm. 15 20 years ago these rocks that you talk about um, and I started to have really honest conversations with my parents and my brother which I've never talked to them about some of this stuff mm. and truthfully they were the scariest moments of my life but I have this sense within me now that those fuck it moments have unlocked this kind of thing within me that if I can do that then what else can I do in my life if I can change this stuff in the last 12 months then what the hell is the rest of my life gonna look like? And I honestly can say that that's the first time that I can ever say that because only maybe four years ago, I was sat in a room on my own thinking, I have nothing to live for right now. I am in debt, I have no relationship, I'm drowning every month, I can't afford to live on my own. i didn't feel like i had the closest relationships with some members of my family um i was hurt Uh, i'd had relationships that had failed Uh, generally just every corner i looked in my life felt like darkness Mm -hmm. and I I had like a another kick in the teeth maybe about six months ago when a relationship broke down. And, uh, and it was someone that I, I just had that hope that I really hoped it was going to work out. And I know these things happen for a reason and, and it wasn't meant to be. And that's all fine. But it was a real kind of kick in the teeth for me. And, and I felt like I had that. The, the thing that I kept saying to people I was close to was, I just don't think I'm strong enough to get through this and um, someone just looked me in the eye, a stranger who I'd had a conversation with for 20 minutes, just uh, didn't let me know, he was on the phone actually, he said to me, but you've overcome all of this, so you do have that strength within you, dig deep and pull it back out, and you're going to be fine. And I remember I had like a period of about five weeks where every day I cried, every day. Mm. There wasn't a day where I didn't cry in September, October this year. And then one day... I woke up and I thought I haven't cried for four days yeah it's happening yeah. and I reached out and and the opposite of isolation is connection mm. and I really really dug deep to find like-minded people that were gonna help me move in this direction that I wanted mm. to um, so there was a huge series of fuck it moments that I think I've just had in a matter of months yeah You know and and the mental health thing is so interesting because for for years I have suffered with depression but I couldn't even say the word depression I used to call it the D word and um, my therapist at the time used to like joke with me about it but I just felt like saying I'm depressed was horrible Um, and it was a failure for me to kind of say those words and I know for a fact that maybe for about 10 years I'd been feeling depressed but until there was a real kind of i i felt like i had a nervous breakdown about 5 years ago and that was the moment where i thought okay i think i need some external help and then i went and got antidepressants and that's a whole different journey isn't it a different discussion for another day but it's so hard to kind of say those words i'm not okay and also to say it to the to the right people who you know you trust to get a react appropriately and and this is something that I'm really keen to bring up with you this idea of these three steps of okay so if somebody close to you says I'm not okay the three things that they should do Yeah. some people coming past us now but they look like they're deep in conversation they'll be wondering what on earth we're doing but what are those three things because I think this is important that people might be listening and thinking I know somebody who I really want to reach out and help but I don't know how to go about do it
1: yeah, so it, it, uh, it's something I cover in one of the presentations that I do, and it's really um, helped me in a few occasions in my career. So it, it's really, when a person chooses to talk, that's a massive thing, um, and probably, as you've said, Claire, one of the bravest things you've ever done, and on a few occasions, the bravest thing I've ever done in my life Um So when you choose to talk and open up, it's massive. This person feels really vulnerable Mm. about doing this. So the first thing you can do is create that um, feeling of safety and trust. So I think if you're feeling like you want to talk to someone, just like you said, you need to choose that person carefully. Mm. Someone that you feel you can trust. And that will respect you and give you the time uh, that's needed so firstly creating that feeling of safety and trust or that environment of safety and trust secondly it's to listen carefully so put the phone away stop what you're doing find a quiet space and uh, thirdly is not to judge so whatever this person tells you whatever they're going through don't judge try and give empathy uh, not sympathy, mm. but empathy. Mm. If you're not sure in the difference, um, have a look on YouTube. Brenny Brown, empathy versus sympathy. <laughs> Fantastic um, little cartoon about it. There. Yeah, mm. yeah. So those are the three things. Is it? Is it can I ask you a question? Some yeah. of that stuff you said. Yeah, yeah. Turning the tables here. Yeah. Whenever you was it the actual language you used that? I, I think I need some help here. Did mm. you actually use that language with someone?
0: Uh, I I don't I can't really remember because it was such a blur it was such like a big moment sitting in the back ladder with my mom and and saying okay I need to talk to you about some stuff that's really going on and the thing is like moms know this stuff she knew for years that I'd been struggling you know with these things but she just didn't know whether it was okay to talk about it and she didn't yeah. know how to talk about it and i didn't know how to talk yeah. about it and these things these are skills that you have to learn right yeah. nobody is born knowing okay i'm gonna i know how to deal with these difficult emotive subjects yeah. you have to learn this right yeah. so the geek in me went and learned how do you tell someone this stuff you google that it's in my google history plenty of times <laughs> <laughs> which is true right you know you say about the animated videos we yeah. need to go look at this stuff yeah. um but i mean i remember i went out with um a couple of mates for a birthday a few years uh well many years ago and um at that time i had just got um a job at the bbc a job that i dreamed of for years i won an award uh, from the guardian for the documentary i made mm-hmm. um and i just got a distinction in my masters as well um and and, and oh, yeah. <laughs> we'd done a few shots at the bar and then these two mates I just burst into tears on them, and I said, "I'm so lonely," and yeah. they couldn't believe they were like, "What? We had no idea that you were going on you yeah. know you were going through this yeah. and and I, I just think it's it, yeah, there's something about that the language, how we say it, who we say it to
1: I, I I think so, and I was thinking, "My goodness, that was so gutsy and so brave, but so clear yeah. what if, if you actually use that language and I've used language like that once." and it was to my parents when uh, um, if someone cares about you the rears will prick up if you actually say something like that and they'll be on your side so if you can have the clarity of thought and the courage to use language like that I think that really gets people on side to stop what they're doing and you know give you the safety and trust and the time and and to listen carefully to what you have to say because they'll realise oh this this is important mm. you, you know Claire Andy doesn't normally say things like that Yeah. so I, I think that language can make a massive difference and just be uh, just set the scene mm. that this actually is really important
0: I, I have had the experience where I've told some people before and they haven't given me the support that I needed yeah. and that yeah. was heartbreaking actually yeah. and yeah. people that I really maybe had I don't know put on a pedestal or, or something mm. and um That was really difficult to to stomach, but it's all just part of the journey. And I think if there's one thing that you do learn when you go through these moments, um, you'd learn who to lean on. And if there's anything that I've learned in the last, certainly the last six months, I've discovered who the people are that I can really, really, really lean on and know that they'll always be there for me. Mm -hmm. And that there is this space where I can say whatever I want and they'll love me whatever. Um, and those people aren't always the people that you think. I, I think that that's the the interesting the interesting part.
1: Uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, so it it mightn't be the the trusted colleague at work. It mightn't be a family member or a loved one, a partner. It might be someone else. Sometimes it's a stranger. Mm. You know, even if you're if you're listening to this and you're feeling very alone, and you can't think of that person to speak to. You know, or, Google it, like Claire says, who you can talk to. Uh, um, Samaritans are always there. Mm. Uh, um, as a, you know, they're always there. There's lots of other information that's um, available these days. If you just Google, you'll find something that might be particularly suitable to your case. Just mm-hmm. a few weeks ago. I was out and about, had a conversation on the phone in the car with my brother um, and I just got really upset and it was nothing that he said it was a whole situation that was going on in my head and I actually ended up phoning a helpline as well Um, not what I would normally do but and do you know what, it's a stranger who just created the right environment and I was feeling better with just offloading again and explaining what I'd been going through and what was going on for me a combination of things um, so there's always someone who will listen mm. even if you are feeling particularly alone mm.
0: yeah well let's come, let's come back to your story because this podcast episode is about you Andy no pressure um, <laughs> it's not. A, it's not about me it's about you the what I'm intrigued by is when you are someone that is caring and looking after other people in the emergency services what impact that has on you because you talk about this culmination of different things and to spend that long working as a paramedic and in the emergency services does take a toll on you um you served in afghanistan um and have talked uh you know openly in public about the the impact of that not just necessarily at the time but for many years later and the flashbacks that happen to you with you know i guess is it is it leaning towards post-traumatic stress how do you go about kind of looking at the impact that that job took on you because it's something that actually is the general public we don't think about that the, the things that you're kind of this the imagery that you're that is locked in your brain forever, for life, really. And the long-term impact of that. Mm.
1: Gosh, there's so much. Uh, um, Total dream job being a paramedic on a search and rescue helicopter for me. Uh, When I was a a child, I thought it'd be cool to be Spider-Man. But um, <laughs> I couldn't do that, so it, it, it ended up that was the next best thing. Um, we we kind of got nicknamed being a dope on a rope, and um, there's some days that it really feels like I must be out of my mind, clipping on this hook and getting winched out of this perfectly good aircraft down into this. Um, not very often, but some days, almost you know, operation certain death. Uh, um, but that's part of the buzz. That's the adrenaline that's part of why you do it you know you're challenging yourself and um, you feel so good the you know I've experienced the it's almost like a euphoria from after a rescue risking your own life to save someone else's mm-hmm. and the physical uh, uh, um, challenges of that job perhaps if it's a sinking boat or um, on a little ledge on a on a mountain, whatever it may be, in extreme weather conditions, there's the fantastic teamwork in the aircraft to get there, maybe through some horrendous weather. And then the physical challenge of doing that rescue yourself, trusting, putting your life in someone else's hands, mm. and rescuing someone. The buzz you get from that is just amazing when it goes right, and all the crap you go through and that that buzz keeps you going for a long, long time. Um, But then it can just go down the other way to total despair to being at another suicide call-out. And I've done loads of those, and often we'd be the, the winchman would be the person that would um, retrieve a body or it would be, uh, you'd think you were rescuing someone, but it's actually someone that has taken their own life by suicide um, in all sorts of locations. Um, So I've seen that up close and personal, a lot at work, but where I grew up as well, there was actually an extremely high number of suicides in our village, so much so we got featured on the BBC news Really?
0: Yeah Um, But why? Farmers?
1: No I don't think there really was something that connected them, but the the one for me that really stood out was there was a a husband and wife who had a business together, Mm. and I thought how between the two of them could they not see a way forward or some way out of this you know Mm. and um, it's been very harrowing for me being out on um, call outs where there is a vulnerable person you're searching for and you just be thinking how can someone get to this stage uh, um, in their life That they've decided this is the best thing to do. It used to play on my mind. I I understand it a lot better now, and I can comprehend it. I've um, read a lot of books. I've been on a lot of courses. I'm a mental health first aid instructor now, so it's part of the the training that I deliver. I understand it now, and that's that's part of my mission to change that. And for people that they don't get into that place, or they know what to do if they get there, and people know. How to help someone if they're in that place, so mental health first aid is very much like physical first aid, so it's almost it's just like a sidestep for me mm. um and when I was speaking that there's the the parity for mental health and physical health now, there's what's, also what's the
0: recovery position for mental health <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay so <What's> the
0: plaster <laughs> I,
1: I, I guess that's almost just having someone to talk to the like i've said creates a a space where you feel comfortable to talk Mm -hmm. and you're not getting any judgment yeah yeah and they're providing the hopefully the vision and the key message that there is hope for recovery Mm. um even if you're just if you're feeling so low just in a few days that that you can see darkness in every corner through to maybe if you have a clinical diagnosis mm. you know you've talked about antidepressants there's there's all sorts of medication that can help you know treatments even for ptsd mm. so um i know a few people now and i'm about to contribute to a book that's on post-traumatic stress and, and recovery from that mm. um, and a lot of us can have post-traumatic stress but it doesn't necessarily have to develop into the disorder as it's caused and there's a lot of argument about whether is it really a disorder or not but mm. well, that's really when it takes over your life yeah um so for me there's so much in that question so for me <laughs> co- coming around to um Afghanistan. Well, I went out to Afghanistan. That was definitely a fucking moment for me. Yeah. James Blunt was on the Royal Variety performance, and I was watching it. Um, this is back in about 2007. I was watching it at home, and I thought, he's a musician, and they always introduce him as, you know, James Blunt, this ex-army officer who's been out here and done this and served there, and da-da-da-da, and I thought, I'm leaving the air force uh in, in the next sort of i don't know what it was um sort of 24 18 months whatever it was and yeah i've done a lot of amazing stuff in search and rescue but i've never really been to war i haven't really tested myself there's of paramedics out there there's an opportunity to go fuck it i'm i'm doing it that's really? for me yeah so what
0: did your family say about that
1: So as it turns out, my wife wasn't very impressed (laughs) Uh, um, and I thought she was supporting me to go. It was what I, if if I needed to go and test myself, she was supporting me and it seemed that way. But when when I came back afterwards, she told me that she didn't want to be married anymore. So, um, and we got divorced and that was, that was incredibly tough for me at the time. I had a lot of things to deal with from being out in Afghanistan. So I was on the rescue helicopter. So we were at multiple times a day in a 24-hour shift to mayhem almost every time.
0: Mm.
1: Uh, And it's a shorter tour than normal because it is so harrowing and horrific.
0: How long is it?
1: So that was, I think it was about 10, 12 weeks. I think think it was about 12 weeks I did.
0: Wow, so 12 weeks, you came back with more rocks than you went with and oh, yeah. and it cost you your marriage in 12 weeks
1: I, well I think my wife just had time to reflect and decide it wasn't for her I don't think that's what really um, cost me my marriage but yeah. it gave her the clarity to realise maybe this wasn't the relationship she wanted to, so it, it was totally out of the blue for me mm. um, but incredibly difficult to deal with at the time mm. when I thought I was at rock bottom needed some time, I've got another major thing to deal with So on reflection now, as it was over 10 years later, I can say that actually that's maybe why I didn't process everything. The traumas had been through in Afghanistan. And um, whereas if I had some downtime and someone to talk that through with, which we didn't really have then, it wasn't set up very well in the the return for medics doing that role. uh, when a large company or a battalion deploys to a war zone they go together and they come back together they have time to debrief together mm. settle into life back home together it's a process I was deploying it as, as an individual really and coming home as an individual mm. um, and it wasn't my normal working environment I was from search and rescue not really mega military stuff um, so it was very alone doing that. Now, there's been processes. That's been realised and other processes put in place since that another paramedic who has the same experience would meet you from the airport and you'd spend a night together and talk about what you've been through before you go home to your family. But at my, at my point, that, that wasn't all in place. Wow. Um, so so um, let me see if I can sum that up. That was that was something massive, yeah. <laughs> have you have you got another question to hone in on something, well, maybe? The, the
0: only thing that I, I, I think of is that as someone who worked in news for a, a number of years, um, one of the things that made me realise that I wanted to leave my permanent job of working in news was a couple of months after the Manchester Arena attack. And that night I was one of the people that worked at the local radio Uh, station I went out into the city centre and met some of the people who were telling me the things that you know they'd seen as they were exiting the arena and somehow you know 30 seconds if they'd left 30 seconds earlier they would have been potentially one of the people killed or injured Um, and then the knock-on effect of it's not just that one, one day it's the funerals it's the inquests it's the raids, the arrests, the releases, all that stuff that happens afterwards and when that happens on your doorstep, the impact that has. But it also made me realise about a lot of the things as a news journalist um, that you just kind of start to desensitise. So the idea that there was a murderer stabbing, you know, every other day, there was a shooting maybe every week, um, there was rapes, there was sexual assaults happening almost daily. Um, and just the way that for me, that became part of my normal language. And then when I hit stop, I was a bit like, wow, this, this is actually impacting me. Mm. So on top of all of my own rocks, as we keep saying, my backpack of rocks that I'm carrying from my own life, then having to kind of deal with this quite serious, heavy stuff, um, it was having a gradual impact on me and my mood and my energy levels and just that general lethargicness of gosh the doom and so the one of the things i've done is i I don't when i'm not working i still freelance in news but i choose when i want to and when i don't and i don't listen to the news anymore Mm, i decided to switch off all notifications i decided not to watch the six and the ten o'clock news unless i have to for work and that was such a massive thing but it's knowing that these jobs that we do day to day how is this impacting my mindset overall and and that's where i think i was wondering about the impact of doing a job like a dope on the rope um you know going and picking up um suicide victims um and and you know people in a war zone like when you're in that how when you hit stop did you realize what impact that kind of work has on you
1: you so think when you're in the flow, it's very similar with journalists. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, you do your job. You're well trained. You're well practiced. Experienced. Professional. Do your job. And for me, people used to ask me, w- "Were you not scared doing that rescue?" Mm-hmm. Or you know, I said, "Well, no, at the time, no, not really. Um, it maybe hits you afterwards when you think about it." But well, you actually, I would find you have extreme concentration and really high high level of focus exactly what you have to do your training kicks in and things can go really slick for you and it feels really good but it's afterwards when you're reflecting oh my goodness if i just hadn't clipped on then if i had been a second or two sooner or a second or two later you know it could have been a very different outcome you know Mm. Uh, and so afterwards when like you said we press stop that's sometimes when it is or may become a problem. So the journalist thing, uh, um, when I was doing my peer trauma support training um, with uh, search and rescue helicopters, when we look after each other, one of the training videos was on Australian um, journalists and how they develop PTSD. Mm. And I was like, wow. Uh, so they'd do a perfect job get outside the city limits be driving home and then have to pull in and break down in tears mm. some of the examples and I was like yeah yeah we were listening to all the symptoms and I was like yeah got that yeah that happens to me something. yeah got that yeah mm, oh dear maybe I need to talk to someone and the instructors were very open if if any of this brings something up we're here to have a, a, a word so we chatted, chatted to one of them after the course uh, that day and I got to a position, like you were saying earlier, where uh, I explained what all had been going on, and the chap says to me, that is a lot going on in your life. Mm. With a series of illnesses, moving house, divorce, um, new job, a promotion. It's a lot of massive life events, running your own business, in your time off, not really having any time off, Mm. working for another couple of companies and he went on and he said do you think you could be depressed and I was like no it's not me yeah. I'm a positive person no I can't you know and it, I was like no that is not me he said well oh really what's wrong with saying that I said no that's that's just not me do you think you could you you might have met you were temporarily depressed so it's maybe was, just uh, a temporary thing a friend,
0: a friend actually calls it shit life syndrome when sometimes it's just the circumstance at that time which I think is is interesting, because that circumstance might go away and then things might improve, you know, like after a break-up or something.
1: Y- yeah, yeah. But,
0: but then, and obviously then there can be the more kind of clinical depression mm. route. I, I think that's where, for me, it's a bit murky about what depression really is. And
1: to- totally is, yeah. Uh, um And it's t- sort of, a bird of it would need to last for at least two weeks to be, mm. in, in medical terms, to be termed as clinical depression at least but normally it lasts a lot longer Mm. several months but i found within myself i've got this stigma i thought i considered myself a mental health campaigner advocate i ran a campaign you know the previous year online made this video with loads of emergency services forty-five thousand views and i can't admit that it's me it's sort of like "Ah, that's for other people it's not for me yeah and I thought this is horrendous this is the stigma I've been trying to break down and I've got it myself mm. I, and that was a massive thing for me um, and I said well yeah there's no reason why I can't own up to that mm. I think I have been and I, I do think I can look back in my life now other times and think yeah I think actually I was I was depressed there mm. and prone to depression I've had periods of depression I haven't got a clinical diagnosis but that's a key message for people as well you, it's all about the individual it's not about the diagnosis yeah. the di- historically we've labelled people with a diagnosis you know schizophrenia what does that mean Which most people don't know yeah, yeah. so again that's part of the training I'm delivering now it's an education um, and that a lot of people even extreme let's talk about PTSD um, or schizophrenia if they have the right treatments and medication can lead normal, Mm. almost, um, productive, certainly, um, lives in the community. Mm.
0: Um, I think what's also interesting from what you're saying, though, a big criticism, right, for mental health services in the UK is that there are massive waiting lists. People don't get mm. the help they need straight away. mm. But as someone who has been on both the paid and the NHS counselling services, I think sometimes... It's nice, it definitely does help, talking to somebody. But what has been instrumental for me is finding the people that are already in my life and and finding a way to talk to them because that, that was the key part. Um, you know, I, th- I feel like I've been talking to strangers, which, you know, <laughs> these people, whether paid or not, these counsellors who I've kind of poured my heart out to, but it was really that was fine but it was still keeping it in a box away i was still keeping that front and that was all fine kind of surface level and it definitely did help me to kind of practice and learn the language okay i need to have this conversation with this person mr or mrs therapist can you help me kind of plan out a way of how i might go about this and what i should do and how that went and deal with some of the um, you know the reaction and and having someone that you can say anything to without being judged is great but the thing that unlocked it for me was finding the people who yeah part of my day-to-day life and building on the connections with those people
1: Uh, uh, does that make sense uh, absolutely yeah absolutely and you you're being yourself Mm. and you're finding that language and, and the courage to do it because you do feel vulnerable
0: oh it's so scary I mean I always thought that I could dig myself out of any hole I'm fiercely independent fiercely right and um, there were many years how I thought no it's fine I'm going to be fine it'll pass I'll just get some sleep I'll just eat better I'll just lose a bit of weight Um, I'll just keep keep working hard and keep busy and then it'll it'll just go away and then sometimes I'd blink and it'd be like god I've been actually waking up feeling like this now for a year okay I'm it's still not working it's still not working I'm just going to keep busy keep doing it Yeah. (laughs) and then it eventually you get to where you're like okay this has been like a year and a half that I've still been feeling like this Yeah, and maybe I can't fix this myself.
1: Well that's where I got to the guy said so what's really your problem Andy? The, the, going back to the peer trauma support meeting after the journalist interview I said well really not sleeping so well So, oh uh, and we talked a little bit about that how long has that been going on know. I was like well two maybe three years and as soon as it's out of your mouth you think oh my god yeah why have i not done something about this beforehand because i've just been yeah i can fix it i'll sort out tomorrow will be better Mm. and everything is temporary and everything will pass but sometimes we just need a little bit of help Mm. and we don't have to quit sometimes we just need to rest recuperate refocus and go off in a different direction so that's certainly what i'm doing
0: talk to me about there was one thing which caught you completely off guard, though. Something that you talked about on your own blog, actually, about a flashback that caught you out when you were on holiday. And it was this was like five years, wasn't it, after you've been out in Afghanistan, and kind of learning about the, the, yeah, just the signs of post-traumatic stress. How you thought, oh, I'm, I'm all right right now, and you're in a shower and something.
1: So I'd had a. Uh, uh Lovely breakfast on the balcony. Come on, some French coffee with my wife. Um, we're in the French Alps. Beautiful day. And we're going out for the day. I say, well, I'll just pop in the shower before we go out. Yeah, no problem. Take your time. In I go to the shower. Turn the water on. I've been in that shower lots of times. Um, turn it on. And suddenly I was um, in a, a Land Rover with a patient this close, you know, just inches away from my face that, He was trapped in after an IED attack in in Afghanistan. Um, It's right there in front of my face. And I could feel the heat of the day, like 50 degrees plus. I could feel the weight of my body warmer, uh, my body armor on me. And I'm there naked in the shower. Um, I, I could feel the sand on my skin. I could feel the threat to my life, the pressure to try and save his life. It was, I was right back, uh, right back there, so this was a job I'd actually done uh, um, and I'd thought about that job various times for other reasons, it wasn't about the, it wasn't anything about the gory detail on that job, there was just a whole lot of things on that job, uh, um, but I was right back there and I thought what can I do, I can sort of this, turn the shower, turn the water to cold. That'll turn down the temperature. Still feeling as hot. Scrub and scrub and scrub to get um the sand off my skin. I could still feel it. So it's, it's all these sensory things. It is just so real. Close your eyes. This guy's still right there in front of you. Scariest, scariest thing. You know, far more scary than actually being there and doing that job. Scary as it was that day. Uh, um so I just thought, right, I've got to get out of here. I don't know if I still had shampoo in my hair when I got out, but towel wrapped around me back out into the apartment and my wife knew straight away something was up. The look of concern on her face. What's happened? Are you OK? What's what's wrong? What's wrong? And that was one of the scariest moments in my life because I thought, I didn't want to admit all this stuff to myself because my mind was running away with me. Have have I got post-traumatic stress disorder? Am I losing my mind? Why? He was obvious I'd had a flashback. But it's like, why am I getting that now? Five years after these events. I'm really happy now. Why is this? I love this woman. She's my soulmate. I'm on holiday in the French Alps. This is fantastic. Why has this happened to me now? I can't possibly. I don't want admit it to myself. So how can I admit it to her? This woman that I have on this pedestal and think she loves me for these amazing things I've done. But I guess that was a fucked-up moment as well, because she was so concerned about me, it was obvious, looking at her, and I thought this is so scary, I need help with it, I'm going to have to tell her just what's happened. I'm going to have to come clean and tell her. And so that's one of the moments I share that, and, uh, uh, that it's okay to talk and that that really helped me. So she listened carefully created a, a, an environment of safety and trust and she didn't judge and that's why that worked so i didn't i i felt better for sharing it it wasn't an immediate cure but i was um able to go outside for the day and have a normalish kind of day um took me a few days to go back in the shower i can tell you <laughs> and that, but i did go back in the shower and it was okay um before I left on that holiday, yeah.
0: Did you know what was happening to you? Because obviously you're a medical type, so you understand, you know the terminology of flashbacks and post-traumatic stress. Did you understand that was what had just happened to you? The Uh, rational part of your brain?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you're thinking, why me? Why now? You know, I, I thought it was over that. I haven't thought about this for years. When I first came back, I would think about it every day. And there would be things that would trigger me, certain music that I'd have heard out there quite a lot. I remember going in, I was visiting my parents at home in Northern Ireland, went in to buy some ice creams in a local town near home. And this tune was playing on the on the radio and I could not wait to get my ice creams and get out of that shop. Mm. Um, but it was nothing like this. Um, and all the time I was meeting my wife for lunch in London This maybe should have been a warning sign and if I'd had someone to talk to uh, um, or shared it back then, I'd have realised I'd had things still going on in my head. I was meeting her for lunch, she came down and there was um, quite a few amputees in um, uniform collecting for uh, um, a charity
0: Mm.
1: and I was just not expecting to see those guys um, and I just had a world of emotion uh, happening inside me. So, uh, um,
0: what like, what type of emotion?
1: So that—that's what I was going to say. So, I get—I um, feel anger, uh, I, angry, and I feel sadness as well. The thing that really gets me about all the incidents I've attended in the ambulance service and search and rescue night in Afghanistan is that um, it just—I cannot comprehend. Um, how much suffering uh, some humans can inflict on other humans, that they can inflict pain and suffering and damage. Um, I just can't comprehend how they would do that. You know, it's, to actually be trying to curve or not trying, but actually caring for these people that have suffered these injuries and um, is just so, so difficult, you just wouldn't want to, or I wouldn't want to inflict that on my worst enemy. Mm. So more recently, the attacks in New Zealand, that was really tough for me to hear that on the news because I was thinking to another job I'd attended in Afghanistan where there's multiple, multiple casualties in an IED and I'd just be thinking about what the paramedics and the first responders on scene what they'd be dealing with that's what was going through my head mm. and um, I just thought that was horrific and my wife was we were at home together that day and she was listening to in the news and it was just it was on every bulletin mm. and I just had to ask her to turn it off and I had to get, I didn't have the day planned that day I just had to um, go out and get into nature and Try and turn off from from it all, you know. Mm. Yeah,
0: I think what's interesting is that with what you're saying about mental health, and I suppose a bit like what my brother was saying, is that this isn't something that we can just fix. Um, it's something that we have to keep working at um, and allowing ourselves that flexibility and that adaptability to bend with life as it happens. So the fact that that day you were like, oh this is going to be something that might potentially uh, poke some old wounds if that's the right phrase to use yeah but i need to need to give myself a bit of a breather here and and i think one of the things that i've definitely noticed since i've stopped drinking and and eating a lot better is i recognize now signs when i'm physically not feeling great and my moods aren't great so i know that well the first thing i need to do is eat well and sleep and yeah. you you can start to spot the signs before it gets down that route of disaster, so to speak.
1: Yeah, exactly. So I think it's an ongoing process and um, sleep is massive. It's, it's enormous for me um, and it's, it's throughout society, isn't it? Mm. We're a 24R7 society now in 21st century. Um, I... Um, listen to a guy speak, uh, Bruce Disley from Twitter, he's got a book out, The Joy of Work have to plug that because it's fantastic um, and I was mesmerised when he was speaking because he said the best thing you can do to be more productive is turn off all the notifications on your phone, <laughs> like, Yeah. this is the guy from Twitter saying this, what, how could that be I, I got a new phone, I did that and it's fantastic I haven't even got email on my phone and it's just like you said, I access things when it suits me but I'm not bothered by all these things. I, I'm not getting the interrupted noise. by them. Mm. Who's saying what. Put my phone on silent for a couple of hours at a time. Do Work on what I'm working on. And then I check if there's any messages, missed calls. And I schedule things in. It's a lot better for me. Mm. But um it, I spent a lot of time last year working out what was good for me. Um, and... When I got my sleep back on a normalish sort of pattern, that was massive for me. But things for me were spending time with people, um, having some quiet time alone as well, getting outdoors in nature, exercising, having a purpose, um, and uh, eating well, uh, also eating healthily. NHS have done some research, it's way back about 10 years now, but they've produced these five ways of wellbeing, I wish I'd have found this last year instead of all the time I spent so let me share those with you because it's just so simple it just really works and it's based on research. So um, you want to connect, be active, so if that's walking the dog, you know, it doesn't have to be a mega two hour session at the gym, just get outside, Um, uh, take notice. So for some people that's mindfulness. Um, I do some mindfulness, and I think it's great, but I also just like that we're out today listening to the birds See all the greens in nature listen to the sounds There's all sorts of ways to do this whatever works for you and um, learn Learn something keep learning. That's that's massive for me I'm learning to be a filmmaker now on my mobile phone for my trip around Scotland in the summer Um amongst other things and I'm, I'm embellishing, so I had to uh, think where I am and give. So a lot of people uh, um, get a lot of joy, like I do, from helping others, giving something. It might just be a little bit of your time. Mm. Sometimes I enjoy just giving a smile to a stranger. And, you know, they're very infectious, just like yawns. Mm. But if you get a smile back, it's really nice.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, um, so just... just giving can be massive so those are five things google that and nhs five ways to well being
0: i really like that i think it's it's really simple and it's funny what you say about just uh getting out being active connecting giving and and the smile of a stranger because there were definitely times when i lived on my own and perhaps in, in reflection maybe it wasn't the best thing for me at that time where i would finish work on a friday and i wouldn't see anyone until monday morning right and box sets i just inhaled as many box sets as possible right but one of the things that i enjoyed um and just gave me great solace um was walking to a supermarket so you walk down the street you pass people and say hello there's a connection right yeah and then instead of going to the self-service checkout i went to the conveyor belt because the chances were that at least i could just have a conversation with someone i mean of course I had friends and family but I I didn't want to see them because then I didn't want to tell them what was going on and what was going on in my head. So I just kept out of it. But those little interactions and I remember um the first time I lived on my own I moved into this great big flat and I didn't I didn't have anything. I'd always just lived like in house shares and bedrooms and yeah. um I didn't have any didn't really have enough furniture to fill this flat. So Twitter had just started and I put out a tweet I had like a hundred followers or something and i just but has anybody got any spare furniture and this lady connected with me and said actually yeah i've got a couple of rugs and a bookshelf um do you want to? i'll come and drop it round. and i never met her i don't know how we followed each other and she turned up the next night with right. this stuff and i was like wow actually in that sense twitter became a way for me to kind of connect with people that had similar interests as me yeah. and and I'll never forget that moment that that kindness of that stranger who I've never seen since can't even remember her name because it was like um you know it was it was a, a fake name or whatever the handle was on twitter yeah. yeah but I just I never forgot that moment how what she gave to me although it was you know penniless worth nothing it made such a big difference yeah. in me taking those first steps and that connection that I yeah. got from that was fantastic.
1: Well, that probably did that lady a lot of good as well. Hopefully. You know? And rather than throwing her out, she thinks think that, uh, um, you know, has made a difference to Claire. Yeah. And you could see it. And I do the same as you. I ask people, especially when I'm down in London, and you know, if I'm getting served in a shop, I'm the customer, I ask whoever's there, how, how are you today? How's your day going? And some of them are so surprised, but they think, oh, it's lovely. Someone asked me how i'm doing you know and they tell you and it's just instead of being a a, a faceless commuter that's alone we're all human and those little connections just can make a massive difference mm. for someone yeah yeah, absolutely
0: it's funny actually one of the old bosses that I used to work with he set us this task that how often um, as Brits do we say you go into the office on a Monday morning you say hey how you doing yeah I'm fine thanks yeah good yeah. yeah all good and he set us this challenge which is so simple really but it's always stuck with me how whenever someone says how are you doing there are like I think I can't remember how many words exactly 3,000 different versions of the word good or fine so, dip into that vocabulary and surprise someone. Yeah. Like, hey Andy, how you doing? And you kind of come back with, I'm splendiferous. <laughs> yeah. Instantly, you're going to yeah. laugh, right? Yeah. But these small things that we can do that just help you get out your own bubble. Yes. Make a big difference.
1: Yeah. I I try and do that when I'm learning a little bit of uh, holiday language. I try to do something slightly different. You know that you're absolutely amazing. You know, fantastic. Instead of just, uh, yeah, everything's okay. But but just actually telling people how they are and uh, or how you are—that's that's been quite a campaign, isn't it? Especially um, to ask people twice. But really, yeah. how are you doing? I. It was a lady uh, um, I used to know, and she would ask, and you say, "Yeah, I'm fine." But how are you really in in yourself? How are you?
0: Oh, God, that's and, cheesy, though. Well,
1: well, that's what I used to really think at the at the time but well, when somebody people, asks you a second really time
0: that's the thing well
1: i think most people don't and that's what we assume and it, it's it's a rush but do you know what would you take time to learn about especially colleagues at work
0: yeah
1: and um, you can really have much more of a connection hmm. and work gets easier and there's more collaboration rather than competition and it's it's really good again that that joy of workbook Tell you, it's brilliant. Well, most of that goes on when they have, I can't remember what it's called, uh, um, it's like half an hour where everybody stops and goes down and has cakes, right from the CEO to whoever's sweeping the floors. Everybody's there and you meet up. And instead of just someone being a a number on an extension or a faceless email, you're actually saying, oh, you're clerk. wow, right. And you like, you know, the Victoria sponge as well. You know, yeah, that's who I am rather than all these donuts, You know, I'm going for the Victoria sponge or the Bakewell tart, whatever it is. Um, And you have this face-to-face connection over something trivial, but it's just... We're all human, aren't we? We're not robots. We've got to have that interaction. It makes...
0: And then it comes back to the word that haunt me, perfection. You know, the idea of trying to be perfect. And how exhausting that really is.
1: Oh, totally. It's been a massive thing for me since school. I've striven for that. It's a massive thing the last few years. Um, done is better than perfect. 80, 80% of success is turning up. And those couple of things for me have just been massive mm. uh, to get my head around that instead of uh, perfection I said well, I I, I, do you know what you've made me think of now <laughs> right. basic training, so I'd like i will call it a bit of a midlife crisis, joined the air force when I was 30 yeah. so I was one of the oldest guys in basic training when you're making your bed pack, you're polishing things, you're cleaning toilets shower blocks, all that kind of carry on and we'd done all that and it was passing out parade and my mother and father were coming over and um, I was so proud and um, I never cleaned my bed space harder or better than when my father was gonna come over. Now he wasn't expecting it the next morning, but he was gonna just be there and God damn it, he wasn't gonna find any fault with it, you know, because <laughs> um, he would always, uh, um, had very high standards and I suppose I was always aspiring to them yeah and there was quite often he would see the little things that you hadn't done rather than the great job that you had so i suppose that was ingrained in me and moving away from that has made me a better person and achieved more i've got more clarity what i want to achieve and what's important so he's he's helped me to have high standards but just easing those a little bit is is great and so many of us are like that. So yeah. many of us need to do that. Mm. Have you? You found it liberating as well? Have you?
0: Yeah, I think uh, get things done is an interesting one, isn't it? And perfect it later uh, is an interesting philosophy, isn't it? And we've just come to a point where there's um there's a stream passing us. It seems quite seems quite apt, really, because I think the idea is that these things these rocks as we've seen in front of us kind of come and, and take over a little bit but life carries on you know the water will keep on moving despite the life, rocks yeah. that are there
1: yeah.
0: and um i think that's it's kind of an interesting philosophy isn't it that um rocks can be moved and taken away but the water keeps coming and the life keeps mm. coming um and there's something quite deep about that. I mean, what does what does the the next six months to a year look like for you? Just to kind of sum up, where are your next pocket moments going to come from?
1: Right. Wow. Well, um, I'm just starting to do a lot more. Sp- speaking events, I'm really enjoying those, they're not always easy, uh, it drains me, takes it out of me afterwards, but people seem to get a lot out of it, so I'm continuing with those, um, and I've, I've just got booked at Cambridge University, so I'm so chuffed Whee! about that yesterday, yeah, yeah, I'm really pleased with that, and um, the massive thing for me is uh, a trip to around scotland to a lot of mountain rescue volunteers and some rnli bases a close affinity with the emergency services and i'm going in andes landy um, normally i don't go too far from home in that because it's been a restoration project for me and yeah, so
0: andes landy is an interesting was it just tell us why have you got this land Rover?
1: So it reminds me of my father. He and I most bonded whenever we worked on classic cars together and we we did some events together. Um, So it reminds me of good times with my father and I bought it with a little bit of money. He left when he he died. Um, But it also reminds me of that flashback I had to the patient in Afghanistan who was in a Land Rover. Um, And rather than that defining me, I'm embracing that and I'm spending time with the Land Rover and I'm driving it where I and when I want to go. So I'm not letting that define me. I'm making that part of me and growing with it. And also, if I am a bit down and feel like there's no point doing too much, there's always something to do on a classic Land Rover. There's always something needs fixed, restored, changed, sorted out. So it's an ongoing project and I really love it it's it's a great way to meet other men and have an icebreaker or discussion point to start talking about mental health so the idea is i'll travel i've taken about two weeks off to go and do this travel around um, the these um, mountain rescue bases going to be meeting the chaps uh, the guys and the girls and be a bit of a focus point for them introducing their well-being and resilience uh framework which is just new within the UKSR so organization
0: yeah incredible so any regrets if you could uh go back to the old job would would you change anything what do you think um
1: i'm really surprised but i haven't actually missed it at all i'm really surprised i thought i would i thought there'd be days that i would miss it but i haven't so uh, um massive things for me at the minute and challenges that i'm loving so short answer is no no regrets actually it's all for the good um i am developing a website now um which, which my blog andy's landy is going to be on and some well-being resources and um, what speaking events i'm doing etc etc um so that's a massive challenge. How how do you do that? That's why I'm getting up in the morning. Um, I'm improving my um, delivery for training events, for speaking events. But part of my massive keep learning thing is uh, and having a purpose. I've challenged myself to make a, f- a short film about my trip around Scotland and Andy's Landy. So uh, and do that on my mobile phone. I'm going to enter some short film competitions so there'll be footage of me uh, um, driving around um, people I meet but the big thing is I've got a a camera that's mounted inside the vehicle and there's certain people I've invited to sit with me in the passenger seat and we'll have a conversation about mental health, well-being, mental strength as we journey and that'll be part of the film so if you'd like to be part of that Claire or if anyone else listening if if, if they'd like to be part of it they can get in touch with me
0: um, i think we've got a couple of visitors there's yeah. a couple of ducks that i think want to um join you they're just coming up towards us right now do you think they can be in part of andy's landy
1: uh, absolutely the one on the left the male mallard can be anytime because he's the um squadron emblem for 202 squadron which is my squadron in the air force is
0: that not spooky yeah as we're talking fantastic
1: yeah yeah absolutely they're they're gorgeous I was out with my wife and two nieces a couple of days ago to listen to the dawn chorus. We were up at half past four. It's the first time they stayed over with us. And um, we actually saw a load of mandarin ducks. Um, last year, we saw one, just my wife and I, but this year has been loads and loads. Um, and I'm, I must be getting old. I'm turning into a bit of a twitcher. I really enjoy watching the birds now. We have a, um, a sparrowhawk. We've, we've named her Stella. Uh, it comes to the garden quite regular um, and we've encouraged some goldfinches to come now after a couple of years trying after after uh, um, loads of other birds that we've encouraged there, yeah. So, so who
0: would have thought that? From a dope on a rope to a bird twitcher, it seems I'm like, sure. oh, and there they go. Beautiful. Well, as they fly away, we'll, we'll leave it there. The rain is just starting so it's managed to hold off for the whole of our conversation Auntie, it's it's been really fascinating talking to you and we'll obviously put links in the episode description to your blog and the best of luck in continuing this, this new journey, this new career chapter that you've gone.
1: Thank you very much it's been my pleasure um, chatting to you and uh, wish everyone all the best uh, yeah stay well be kind to yourself is great advice I've had, and have a good day.
0: To find out more about what Andy does, go to his website. It's simply Andy Elwood, E L W O D. And if you do want any support, the Samaritan's number is 116123. You can call it for free from the UK. Next time on the Fuck It Moments podcast, we meet Katie, who nine days before what was meant to be the happiest day of her life, discovered that she had terminal cancer.
1: I am so much more likely to talk about death now than I was I have already planned my funeral, so I know where I'm going to die. You know, fun fact, we're all gonna die. And I've learned of this strange dichotomy of a terminal cancer patient who has to balance hope, which I think eternally we all have, with being realistic. But to me, it makes a hell of a lot more sense to make decisions and plans and advance planning while I'm totally sound of mind rather than waiting until I'm in a morphine coma in my last weeks of death, where my husband or my parents are making all these decisions. So for me, I'm very comfortable talking about death, but I've learned many people around me have a very difficult time
0: listening. Katie's next up on the Fuck It Moments podcast series. It's a story of gratitude, of kindness and inspiration. If you have your own fuck it moments that you'd like to share, then you can email us thinpodIMpo at gmail.com.